Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses. We waited 25 years for what exactly? You got a record of your favorite songs You got an hour and it won't take long You got a pair of brand new friends You got a ticket gonna stick to the end I said now hear this Now hear this Now hear this show Ben Folds album is rock in the suburbs, oh, and you're, st- you're, t- you're still touring around, yeah? Yeah, I'm still touring. Yeah. When I'm writing a song, I'm hearing parts that actually won't all go together. There are too many of them. It's a rush when it comes together. Let me tell y'all what it's like being male, middle class, and white. It's a bitch if you don't believe Listen up to my new CD, Shaman. How thrilled you fell in love with an Australian woman? You would never think that would happen, would you? No, I didn't think it happened. And then I, I was over here for four weeks and uh, I was in Adelaide, supposed to be there for a day, and I'm still there. It was like my last One week. One day? Yeah. Oh. All alone in my white boy pain Shake your booty while the band complains The songs will be built so that they can stand up to a lot of different treatments. Yeah. It's technical stuff, you wouldn't understand. I'm rocking the suburbs. It's just like Michael Jackson did. I'm rocking the suburbs. You said that he was talented. I'm oh. rocking the suburbs. I take the checks and face the facts. This song producer with computers. Bitches all my shitty tracks. We are back. Now hear this episode, this is episode six, right? I think so. I think six. Yeah. Episode insert number. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm actually, to be honest with you, I'm a little nervous to do this because this is one of those records that was very important to me when I was in high school, when I was a younger man in college, it influenced a lot in my life. And the artist, I mean, these days, I don't even really know how I feel about his output anymore. Mm. You ever have an artist where sometimes you feel like they haven't grown past a certain stage in their life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think much like you, I put, I don't know, maybe, maybe not like you, but I put myself back in the headspace I was in when this album came out Yeah, when listening to it. And I think I had to work through some demons really, to like really open my heart to this thing because it does sound not dated. That's the wrong word, but it does sound very, shall we say, specific to an era of music. Yeah, definitely. And of course, do you want to say, or can I say it? Can I have the honor? May I have the honor? You have the honor. You, you've, yes. We're talking about Ben Fold's solo release rocking the suburbs this week yes 2001 so but believe it or not this album was released on 9-11 the actual yeah. 9-11 the one you read about in the papers yeah and the one nicholas cage was on that plane trying to stop and it didn't work was he in united 93 <laughs> should we make 9-11 jokes probably not you know 9-11 was an inside job. No, I mean, I don't... I think you can say anything you want. It's a podcast. And if, oh. if people are with us at this point, yeah. I think they understand sure. the wild ride they're in for. And they are. Oh, my. Oh. So, yeah, so this is Ben Folds' first solo album. I mean, I'll do some history briefly. He was in a band. Most people know this. Ben Folds 5. They put out a self-titled record, a big hit album called Whatever and Ever Amen that had Brick and... 
a couple other hits on it. There's a lot of famous songs from that. Is that the one with Angry Dwarf and 200 Solemn Faces? That's the one. Okay, that's the only song slash the only album I knew of Ben Folds 5 like at all. It's a good one. That is, I was watching some videos of that era last night mm-hmm. because I wanted to know you know, why did this band break up? I mean, I love their records. They're sloppy. They sound like they're from the seventies. Ben Folds has a real smart ass lyrical sensibility. He's an amazing piano player. Like one of one of the best piano players. You think of a guy like Billy Joel or Elton John and you see the acrobatic things that Folds can pull off. You're like, wow, he might be a better piano player than all those people. Right. Ben's a great drummer. He's a great bassist. But I, you know, from some of these videos that I watch from him, he's kind of an asshole, <laughs> from what I can tell. <laughs> well, you sent me a video to look at last night, which was him and a baby-faced Carson Daly in, I want to say, 99? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Something and like that, yeah. He was on full Snark Patrol on that one. Yeah, very much so. And, you yeah. know, they say Fold's got a later start in his career because he was, yeah. what, 24, 25, 26 and you think of that now. He was born in 66, I think, which puts him at, you know, I, I tend to think of things in like Jack White time. So I know that's a weird way to put it. But like, no, it's fine. you know, that, there's a, that iteration, that generation who was born in the mid 70s, who were coming up around the time we're describing in music. Yeah. And then he was fr- actually from the generation prior. So he's more of like the Beck generation, that early 90s right. bridge generation Mm -hmm. before the garage revolution and so i'd lump ben folds in with beck in a lot of ways i guess pearl jam to a lesser degree kind of just in relative like sort of age range brendan benson is another one that's from that same kind of ilk so yeah he is in his 30s by the time we see him for this record certainly but late 20s seasoned in a an industry packed with you know 19 year old christina aguilera's and such exactly yes he's an older statesman I mean, even as you said to me on the side, by the time he gets around to making Rock in the Suburbs, he's 35 years old. Yeah. He's still older than I am right now. And I was a fan of this guy 10, 15 years ago. Sure, sure. And, you know, you look up to these guys, these elder statesmen or these songwriters, and something happened between when I left college and today. And maybe Ben just wasn't making the same records or... You know, he would put out stuff and I just I just didn't connect with me anymore. That doesn't mean it's good or bad. Yeah. It's just this is the last thing Ben released where I was like, wow, this is a great record. Actually, upon inspection, coming back to it, some of it hasn't aged very well for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to hear what hasn't but, aged well for you. Yeah, but, but some of it's better. Like some yeah. of it's like, wow, like what? Yeah. Because Ben falls and to back up a bit. You all probably know by now I'm a big Beatles fan. And there are these McCartney records, McCartney 1 and 2 from 70 and 80, where Paul is playing everything. He's playing every instrument. He's singing every part. Right. You know, maybe some Linda stuff here and there. Then there's a Todd Rundgren record that we talked about called Something Anything, where Todd's doing the same thing. This is why I was recommended this album. Was why I gravitated towards it because it's a guy from a band and he's doing everything more or less. There's there's a few interesting guest appearances. Yeah, and the vibe that that sort of vibe is there on the record for me, and that's what does still withstand the test of time. Where it's it sounds like a '70s record just produced in the in the '90s. It doesn't even sound like it's produced in 2001 or whatever it came out. Yeah, it's like a '90s '70s record. Yeah, so I could yeah I could point to a couple instances that would challenge that, but mostly yeah, it does sound linked to that sort of late '90s production style. There's some <laughs> so part of my prejudice here getting into this really quickly is yeah I was a, like I was a classic rock kid in high school with some exceptions, but you know, I think like you were too. Yeah. And the ska thing that happened, I was sort of like, I, it's unfair of me as I look back in retrospect, but I was very snobby, like anti ska kind of thing. And so I found there to be a lot of crossover between people who liked bands like, I don't know, less than Jake or one of these kinds of 
things and like Ben Folds was their little dipping of the toe into a more rocky sound but there was enough crossover there where I lumped Ben Folds in with that whole trip yeah that makes sense it's true and so this idea of like name songs kind of got ingrained in my soul as like that is bullshit like less than jake or scotty doesn't know or like you know you know jeremy doesn't care whatever it is ben folds five yeah and so then i got to this album and i got annie waits and i got zach and sarah and i got fred jones and i got the Ascent of Stan, and I got Losing Lisa, and I got Carrying Kathy, and I said, what is this bullshit Brian Brady gave me? <laughs> A bunch of songs about people that nobody knows. Okay, to that point, people are always saying of Ben, so who are these people? And he goes, oh, I don't know. They're just characters I make up. But I think you and I know a little bit better than that, that all art is autobiographical in a yeah. sort of way. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, these songs are either about Ben. Like, okay, you brought up 200... One Angry Dwarf and 200 Solemn Faces. And Ben Folds claims that that's not about him. You know, mm-hmm. and the lyric is, you're going to be sorry one day. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. <laughs> you know, because I'm going to be in the newspaper and on the TV. Okay, Ben. Look whatever you say. What's to do. Yeah, exactly. Kiss whatever my you ass. S- yeah. Kiss my ass goodbye. Whatever you say, Ben Folds, you know. <laughs> You liar, you scoundrel. But so Ben is such a smart, he's a smart guy. His lyrics are yeah. detailed and they paint these pictures and he is an, he's one hell of a musician. Mm. I remember, uh, this is going to show you how big of a dork I was. Sometime in high school, I went to like a week or two, it was a, it was a, a camp, like a jazz camp. And I played Ooh. the double bass at a jazz camp. And a couple of the people there knew, had met, like, oh, yeah, we, I've met Ben a couple times. He acts like he invented piano rock. <laughs> he acts like he invented the piano. So I go, well, okay, I don't think so. Yeah. But to your point, on the last episode that we recorded, that sort of character, that sort of confidence, that sort of swagger is what gets these people into the positions they're in. So can you really fault him for it? I don't know. I don't. I would rather somebody take pride in what they're doing, even to the point of boasting, as long as they can back it up. And Ben can. I think one thing, even despite all the prejudices, and, and I on first listen to this album, I still held those prejudices for the most part. In fact, first listen to this album, it took me a while to actually get through it because it, had, it really had to shatter some preconceptions. But one thing that was undeniable was his skill and the piano on this record is so expertly not only played but produced and mm. utilized to its maximum effect in each track that his musicianship sure he didn't invent it he's standing on the shoulders of billy joel and elton john and all them but his musicianship is undeniable and it's infectious, really, really, really effective on every song. Absolutely. You're pointing to, I believe his name is pronounced Ben Gross of Filter and Fuel. He's, he's a producer of those artists. So I Ben got that. him for the rec- this record. And his quote is, I got the quintessential suburb rocking producer to work for me. He knows all the sliders and the knobs that denote the rocking of suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> and so... <laughs> Uh, that just reminds me, did you watch the Rock in the Suburbs music video that Weird Al made? I didn't watch it, but I read that Weird Al had directed it. And once I found out, by the way, that was one of the things that allowed me to understand Ben Folds a little bit is his friendship with Weird Al, because I think they're about the same age. Maybe Ben's a little younger. I think so, yeah. Rock in the Suburbs, before I knew he had anything to do with Weird Al, I had already in my mind equated to White and Nerdy. Right. Uh, which is, if you aren't familiar, <laughs> go watch the White and Nerdy music video and listen to that song immediately. Oh, I'm familiar. They see me bowing, my front lawn. I know they're all thinking I'm so white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Can't you see I'm white and nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. I wanna roll with the gangsters. 
So in that music video, that Weird Al music video, there's a cutaway scene where Ben, because it's multiple Bens doing all the instruments, almost like the coming up music video, the McCartney oh, yeah. 2. Sure. And they cut away into the, when they say the line, and some producer on computers fixes all my shitty tracks. Yeah. It's, it's Weird Al, <laughs> and I believe Ben Gross and Ben Fold sitting at the council and Weird Al just scowling on his face. And they have the track like distorted <laughs> coming out of the speakers. <laughs> There's two sets of faders and one is labeled sucks and one is labeled, <laughs> yeah, and one is labeled rocks and they fade down the sucks and they fade up the rocks and they all kind of nod at each other. That's so good. I love that. Yeah, I think that's the thing about folds that people don't get is that he's really funny. He lived yeah. in New York for a while he thought he was going to be an improv comedian or even like a stand-up, I believe. And so... Really? Huh. He's done... Yeah, he's, he's done a lot of different things. He was... If I had to pull up the history of Ben Fold and tell it to you in the brief... As brief as I could. His, so his dad was a carpenter. Uh-huh. And they moved around all the time. So his dad bartered with a customer that was unable to pay for his services for a piano. Uh-huh. And Ben got this piano and he was just learning songs by Elton and Billy and just stuff on the AM radio by ear. And there's also some story, and I don't know if Ben Folds is diagnosed with autism or some kind of something. There are these weird interviews where Ben himself is like, my parents thought something was wrong with me because I would, huh. as a kid, I would sit on the carpet yeah. and play these funk and soul and basically like Motown or R&B record. Sure. He'd play them for hours and hours and hours and hours and play them over and over and over and over again in these headphones. That sounds like a Brian Wilson thing. Yeah, it, yeah a little bit, right? Brian did it, that with Be My Baby, right? Over and over and over. And so at a young age, he was able to just absorb instruments so quickly. He's, huh. He can play the the slap bass really, really well. He's, a, he's an unbelievable drummer. <sighs> clearly, I'm, so happy, yeah. I'm so happy you said that about the slap bass because I didn't realized that he played every instrument on this album and there's some really great slap bass like that's unironically great slap bass yeah. on these some tracks yeah. here and i totally didn't realize that that's awesome yeah he's a really focused and really intense player he's a real yeah. player there's also some story where he didn't graduate he went to university of miami frost school of music uh-huh. on a, a percussion scholarship and <laughs> okay, yeah, while he was there, he was, you know, he's doing all this drum stuff, but he was also just running scales for hours, hours a day, six months. And, and that's with a metronome, just getting faster and faster and faster. He has this discipline that allowed him to unlock all of this music ability. It's why he still has all of it. But he never, gra- I don't think he graduated. There's some story. And I remember yeah. hearing this story going to Ben Fold shows in Chicago because there's very like a much a cult of personality for Ben. You go to a Ben Fold show, there's all these rumors and things. <laughs> Apparently he broke his arm the night before his final exam. Yeah. He, in some fight. I don't know if it was a bar fight or otherwise. It's basically like an urban legend a, yeah. amongst Ben Folds fans. Shows up to do the final, fails, can't do it because his hand is broken and in a cast. <laughs> Takes the drum set and drives to the lake on campus and just dumps the drum set <laughs> into the lake. <laughs> you know, he's a little ornery. He's angry. He's got an Elvis Costello kind of intensity to him, but it's yeah. it's not... He's more aware of it, I think, than Elvis. To be able to even make a record like Rock in the Suburbs or a song like Rock in the Suburbs. Yeah. Well, talk about attitude. Yeah, there's there's some attitude on that for sure. Is he one of those like perfect pitch people? Does he have perfect pitch kind of thing? I would think so. I know that he always talks about he every single day he wakes up with a new song completely written or almost partially written in his head. He's fairly prolific, right? Like even though there was not all that many Ben Folds 5 records, like the totality of his output seems fairly large. Would I be wrong in assuming that? Yeah. No, you're not wrong in that at all. So that's why it's so interesting. You get through three Ben Folds 5 records, the last one before this being the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner, which is mm. a pretty good record if you're a fan of Folds, that he turns out something like his first solo album in the middle of his 30s. Yeah. And it's more or less consistently pretty good. Yeah. Again, coming into this completely cold, I did not know what to expect. Knowing he played all the instruments is 
remarkable, actually, because you would never know that listening to this. The records you mentioned, McCartney, McCartney 2, you kind of get the impression maybe Paul's playing everything with the exception for like, maybe I'm amazed or something. But this, wow, that is, it is seamless. And it yeah. also, when since we're talking about McCartney, a lot of the sound and execution of this record in production and playing reminded me of later years McCartney production and playing hmm. chaos and creation memory almost full that sort of era and I think part of it is just simply the technique or maybe um, the tropes of the sound of music at that time because they're you know he's making this record when McCartney's doing driving rain and so there yeah. it is kind of in that window but it's funny you, you mentioned that I did find a lot of similarity of McCartney in here which you know I'd People who listened to this show before know that, you know, you and I are both big Paul McCartney fans. And so, yeah, I could see why you just on a stylistic level might have been drawn to this. And, and I was eventually for similar reasons. Well, yeah. So whereas a Paul McCartney solo record where he's playing all the instruments, maybe some of the drums are a little sloppy. Maybe some of the keyboard parts aren't technically outstanding, but it's McCartney's voice that you're just like, what? Yeah. When you sing it, maybe I'm amazed or... Even something like one of these days and McCartney two are coming up or any of the uh, temporary secretary. Uh, yeah. Wow, this guy can really sing. Ben Folds, a singer who never really wanted to sing, he's apologetic about it. He's like, you know, I, I wanted other people to sing my songs. But I remember some interview where he said when other people would sing my songs, these singers, these air quote singers, it's very technical and very almost Disney and it mm. takes the meaning out of it. Yeah. So Ben, like Randy, Randy Newman, writes for these characters. Yeah. And Ben's lack of technical singing ability kind of adds a authentic nature to some yeah. of these story songs. Yeah. Yeah. But whereas McCartney, Ben Fold's musicianship, and this may be controversial, knocks McCartney's out the water, I think. Whoa. 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 He's a player. Them's fighting words. <laughs> ben Folds is a player. He studied the drums. He, yeah. Paul famously was like, I was going to take piano lessons, but then I wrote Eleanor Rigby, so I'm good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, but I guess what, you, what the way I interpret that is Ben is perhaps more of a music nerd for that kind of stuff, which the nerdy quality to it is definitely there and explains the weird Al friendship for sure. Yeah. You know, he's got that arrogance, that sort of lovable arrogance about him too. You know, it's so funny you talk about these, the characters he's writing for and and, and it was the same with Randy. I, I think you could draw a pretty neat through line between the albums you've chosen up to now with Todd and then Randy and then this one. There is kind of a, a central theme to that stuff and I think it's it revolves around characters to some degree. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe Todd is the character, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's certainly a character, that Todd Rundgren. But it's the characters I found on a surface level in this type of music, not necessarily on this record, to be uh, maybe a little hacky. Mm. And I'm not talking about Ben Folds, but when I mentioned before, like my prejudice against like, Jeremy can't wait and like, less than Jake and that, that kind of thing, I found that to be from songwriters who weren't perhaps very good and so they inserted a lot of these hollow stories into their work that always hit me as cheap yeah and i think hacky is about the best way i could describe it now ben is using some of the same tools or some of the same arrows in that quiver but i think it's easy to conflate what ben's doing with that stuff but it's not the same thing because there's more substance behind what ben is trying to do in more of a randy newman kind of vein but you know there's that surface stuff that sometimes is hard to penetrate last time we talked about country music and that was hard for you to penetrate it's hard for me to penetrate once i did i found out oh, okay with this person there's something underneath and you never know when it's gonna be bullshit or when it's gonna be real and it took me about three, four listens to get that Ben Folds thing was real. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I'm happy I stuck with it. I'm glad you did too. It's definitely, I don't know, I guess I was an angsty high school, nerdy white high school kid. And you're like, yeah, I relate to this record. And now 10, 15 years later, looking back at it, maybe having resolved a lot of those issues, 
even having explored a lot of that. Sure. Looking back and going, ah, some of this makes me feel weird now that I. Uh, yeah, it's a lot like uh, watching Kevin Smith movies for me now. Um, when I was okay, when I was in high school, I thought those were. I mean, what's the difference between Kevin Smith and Shakespeare? Nothing. Maybe Kevin Smith is just like fatter. <laughs> now looking, now looking back, I'm like, ugh, they seem very high schooly to me because the emotional baseline is so juvenile. And I think some of them maybe hold up better than others, but yeah, sometimes the things we liked when we were younger maybe stay in that place and don't necessarily grow with us. So yeah, I did find a lot of those kinds of emotions in this record, but actually sometimes they they really did gut punch me. And I'm thinking of one song in particular which we'll get to when we when we get to the track by track, but yeah, there is some saccharin on here, but it's it's actually like wielded like a weapon <laughs> yeah. instead of used for some sort of commercial gain or whatever, you know. Right, yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. So with all that said, you want to dive into the first track? Well, I, I think I might have to shoot you up in Paul's oh, Bullet Corner. Paul's Bullet Corner. <laughs> Is, I think that's what we're calling it. I think that's what it's called now. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. Okay, so I have five bullet points for Ben Folds rocking the suburbs. Uh-oh. <clears throat> The first one is, for those of you who don't know, this is where I summarize the album with weird poetry. The first bullet point is, the earnest hummings of a millennium man and his tickly appendages. Wow. Uh, bullet point number two, deceptive musings of a secret and talented white person. <laughs> bullet point number three, a jubilant pianist charm that judo chops at my rotten teenage memories. Now that one I can get behind. Billy Joel's graduating paper boy. <laughs> I will not skank, and neither will he. Now that. <laughs> I, what was that tour? That tour that they shut down a couple of years ago. Man, you'd go every summer. It was a big tour. You'd see all the bands. Blink One Eighty Two would play out all the time. All those warped tour. Warped tour. Yeah. I all of a sudden was back at Warped Tour when you said that. <laughs> Just really quick before we get into the track by track, you talk about you feeling maybe anxious about some of your teenage memories listening to this. I have way more embarrassing stuff because I was listening to the people he's making fun of. Yes. And, and yes. Those things do not age well at all. I look back with it kind of fondly in its absurdity. But yeah. like your your limp biscuits of the world, your corns, your <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. My great 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 grand, yeah, all of yeah yeah. Into the tracks we go. Anyway, Annie waits. Track one. And so. Everything I thought I hated about this era of music, from the unnecessary charade of a third-person narrative and beyond, but there's such a charm to this that transcends all of that stuff, and this is a great example of a song that challenges me on all of those things. But there's actually a secret sarcasm, a lot like the Randy Newman stuff, like what you were saying, and more and more and more, I find that I really like his approach to this stuff actually appeals to me when I thought for sure it wouldn't. And this is a great example of that. Definitely. It's this character, Annie, but Annie, the narrator of the song, you don't know who that is, but you find out with a big twist, the, the reveal at the end is, oh, he likes Annie. Annie is going after all the wrong guys and they're leaving her in the dust. It's, but there is a creepiness to that. Yeah. That, that, I, that I didn't even get until maybe I spun it now because I love the music of this song. Sure, The sure. piano riff, that all the bass guitar riffs. Boop, 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 
all of those little things. And sure, sure. That fuzzy outro is so good, too. Complex chord progression. They don't really write songs like this, and they definitely didn't write songs like this in 2000 and 2001. Right. The production on this is another layer to this that I find very effective. Everything feels kind of close mic'd, clean and tight for sure, but it's got this homey sort of warmth to it. Mm-hmm. He plays with emotion a lot on this record. And on the outro of this particularly, there's that dread-inducing piano and the little conga drum sound effect that takes us on to the, to the next one. Dun. But yeah, yeah, a lot of emotion in the playing. It makes me wonder who this actually is in Folds' life. Because I don't know if you know this, Ben Folds has been married four times. No, I did not. Four times, yeah. And he co-wrote a bunch of songs early on in his career with one of his early wives. And yeah, I don't know. There was a quote that I pulled from the Sydney Morning Herald. Because mm. Ben Ben recorded this album in Australia. His, yeah. I think his third wife, Fraley... It was Australian, and he was down living. He did this all not in America. And the quote that I pulled, as much as I love the idea of being married, it's not for me, said the guy who's been married four times. (laughs) Well, he's trying. (laughs) But he clearly is putting himself into this song. You know, he's been in this zone before where he's after this girl. I don't want to make this negative for him, but, you know, he clearly gets what he wants in his life. So maybe he sees these girls on the horizon and he's like, I'm going after that one. Right. That girl's was with all the wrong men and I'm going to get her. Sure. We'll be divorced five years from now, but I'm going to get you. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That's part of that swagger. That's a part of that. His whole sort of package deal is that. And not uncommon amongst musicians or c- creative types in that way anyway. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, anyway, it's a great song, great way to open the record. I don't really have any complaints about it. No, beautiful little melody to the da 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 da. Like and the way he treats his phrasing on this record, I found really interesting too, because he places the lyric around the chord structure in a in a fun way, and sometimes it echoes it, yeah. and sometimes it plays against it, and sometimes it, it, it. There's not a note really out of place on this thing. It all feels very precise, very very precise. When I was living in New York, I snuck into some speech he was giving at, it was either a music school, I forget where it was exactly, but it was in some auditorium, and Ben was talking about this record, and he said it was very difficult for him to make this album, because if you've heard his other music, it's rough and it's done quickly, and the producer, Ben Gross, really slowed him down. Mm. Ben would be sitting there tuning a bass or, or, or doing something, and Ben would be Ben Gross would be really direct with him and be like, yeah, that take sucked. You got to do it again. Or, hey, we need to do this again. And he's very frustrated. Ben would play a bass guitar part and he would think, oh, that was so great. And then Ben would be like, yeah, you got to tune your bass. It sounded terrible. (laughs) And that level of precision, that's what you're talking about right there. Yeah, he he pushed him. And sometimes that can strangle a project and sometimes it can elevate a project. I'm Mm. thinking about an artist. I mentioned Brendan Benson earlier. He's from this sort of generation. He worked with a producer named Gil Norton, I think his name. Yeah. And Gil really rode him into the ground. And he wound up being so burned by getting ridden that hard that it like spooked him away from making another album for like a five-year span of time. So some people don't respond to that is what I'm saying. But like some people need that push. It's interesting that Ben maybe responded to that. I don't know if he did or he didn't, but I mean, the proof is kind of in the pudding with the record. sounds like he did because I think he got a better, a a great product out of it. Yeah, today it's still his best sounding record. Is it his best album? I don't know. Yeah. It's a good one. It's good enough. That Rock in the Suburbs song was pretty big hit for him. So people, well, I mean, we'll get to that, but you know, certainly popular. Sir, yes, definitely. So now track two, Zach and Sarah. And I love this about this song, where in the first verse, you're getting an unusual spelling of Zach and even Sarah, not more Zach than Sarah, but Sarah spelled without an H was getting bored. Yeah. You know, while Zach without a C tried out some new guitars. This is, can you, do you know what this song is about? Because as I was (laughs) listening to it again, I'm like, (laughs) what is this song about? I don't know. I was fixating on the 
90s early 2000s tropey things in here like the hand claps and the mba we talked about brian wilson earlier there's a beach boysy sort of vibe to this i think it's a love song kind of maybe yeah i don't know it's like a love song written in jenkos yeah so it's 1984 yeah he's on a pv amp uh-huh. whether it's at a guitar center or whatever would be oh yeah trying out some new guitar some guitar store and then she just goes into a trance where she sees what the late 80s where it's english dance music that electronic sort of thing happens late 80s early 90s sure and it makes it possible for all white boys to dance and then sarah claps and the song's over and you're like wait what <laughs> you're all working in a submarine huh Hold on. Now I got to look up these lyrics. Cause, hold on. So yeah, that verse. And it's the chilling verse. And I didn't even get it as a kid. Zach called his dad about layaway plans. So while Zach's doing that, Sarah tells the friendly salesman that you'll all die in your cars. <laughs> Why has it got to be dark? And you're all working in a submarine, asshole. Whoa. So let's walk through this step by step. Sarah spelled without an H was getting bored on a PV amp in 1984, while Zach without a C tried out some new guitars, playing Sarah with no H's favorite song. Often Sarah would have spells, she's playing with the spell, this name spelling versus the spell yes. thing, uh, where she lost time, she saw the future, she heard voices from inside, the kind of voices she would soon learn to deny because at home they got her smacked. And here in the album at 32, 33, I'm going, what am I listening to? <laughs> Zach called his dad about layaway plans and Sarah took... So there's like a weird John Cougar melon campy story happening here, but it's like a lot darker it's like if the little pink house exploded and killed everyone inside. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I don't know if you noticed, but Zach and Sarah never really interact with each other in the song. And that was what blew my mind upon this listen. I was like, they're not even really together. He's off in his own world in 84, and she's either some kind of schizophrenic, manic, depressive, but having visions of the future that are accurate. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, is she is she in the audience for this stuff? Is she she's a fan? I think. I took it as they're at a guitar store, right? And he's her boyfriend, or maybe not. Maybe I've always read this wrong, and it's a much darker thing where she's just a fan. I think she might be because he's playing her favorite song, so you could interpret that as she's a fan and. Or maybe she's a fan and it's like a local thing. Maybe you're right. Like maybe, is she obsessed with him? Yes. I don't know. But I do know (laughs) that the piano playing on the song is unbelievable. And it almost doesn't even, like the lyrics don't even matter because of how good the music is. You have the hi-hat going that, the whole time the piano doing these amazing riffs, complicated chords. And the drums rock, too. It just, the song rocks. And it's one dude. How do you do that? The melody's really strong. Bouncy fun, but with dark undertones and that swirly, whirly piano that's that's coming on, which is, it's just all, it all works on every level. It just works. It's more than what meets the eye or ear. Yeah. Brings us, I guess, to track three, Still Fighting It. This one destroyed me why is that destroyed me because i was listening to this album and and i listened to about four four or five times just on runs and i was uh, visiting my family in florida and well i remember this song coming on i must have heard it i guess for the second or third time and i started to realize what it was about which was about a guy talking to his little kid or his baby yeah young son and I, my wife and I just had a baby, and she's nine months now. And so I'm all those those feelings are particularly raw for me at the moment. But what he says, some things in there about you're so much like me. I'm sorry. I love that line. Yeah, devastating because 
sometimes you wonder what you're going to pass on. Are you going to pass on the neuroses that drive other people crazy? Are you going to, or or is that little person going to be the best of you? And yet, you know, it, it's, it fucks with your head. And this song is a meditation on that head fuckery. The line, everybody knows it hurts to grow up, you know, all that stuff. It's about how you're like, I'm I'm so sorry I did this to you. I'm so sorry I brought you into this world to just be hurt yeah. over and over and over again. And that's mm. stupid, you know, because that's not the reason, you know, that, that life is, you know, life is beautiful and all that stuff, but it's also sucks. Yep. And so yeah. it, this is, it reads like an apology to a kid for being born. And I'm sorry I... I'm sorry I did this to you. Uh, devastating, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> devastating. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great song. And the original version of it, there was this long instrumental intro that the producer just cut off, and he did it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I guess yeah, that makes that makes sense." Yeah, but yeah, the the lyrics are great. I didn't catch when I was younger. Good morning, son. I am a bird wearing a brown polyester shirt. I just thought that was a goofy goofy sort of thing but then he ties it together in the bridge where he's saying you'll try and one day you'll fly away from me yeah and then so he repeats at the end i am a bird and you realize oh he flew away from his father and his mother too ben fold the narrator right and it's this just it's a beautiful song it's i actually like this one more than most of them now as i'm getting older but hey i'm gonna be 35 soon so that would make sense I found out that he also wrote a companion song for this to his daughter on a 2005 record. Songs song for, Silverman. for Silverman. Yeah. Yeah, Gracie. There's, um, I don't know if you've ever heard him. It's an artist named Tim Minchin. He's a no. comedian, English comedian. But he also writes piano songs. And he's got a song called uh, Champagne in the Sun, which is similar. It's, it's that. It's uh, it's like this emotionally, it should be corny, but because it's so real, it's not. This one was a lot like Tim mentioned without the jokes. Uh, yeah. One of my notes here says, but yeah, wow. If this was all, if, if this is the only song I ever heard of Ben Folds, I would walk away like, holy shit, this guy gets how to play your heartstrings like the way he Yeah, wants. he really does. He yeah. really does. So anyway, great one. Great one. So then after that, he hits you on the head with Gone. Yeah. Just the the opposite of a love letter, a breakup note. And yeah. never really heard it, this sort of story from this perspective before. Mm. It, there's a realness to it where you're like, yeah, I've been there. Especially the whole, I wake up in the night all alone and it's all right. The chemicals are wearing off since you've gone. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, I felt that before. Mm-hmm. That was actually the only line I wrote down here. I didn't have much to say about this one. It was, uh, I think I found the production to be not dated, but of that time. Definitely. Great tune. Not a standout for me, but like every track on this record, I wound up loving it in its own way by the time it was over. And a nice placement on the record after the kind of emotional gut punch of still fighting it. Yeah, it's straightforward. Read the lyrics. It is what it's about. I, I have no other notes about it. It's another one of those tunes where I like it just as much as I did all those years ago, so maybe there's something to say for that. It hasn't sure. changed its position. Mm-hmm. But this next one. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Fred Jones, part two. And did you happen to investigate part one? I just assumed it was this was the only one and there wasn't a part one. Is there a part one? So, yeah, there's a part one on whatever and ever, amen. Okay. And I'll read the lyrics to that one. Okay. It's because it's very, very short. And it's, it's word for word from a newspaper. Huh. The first line of a piece about a divorce. So, yeah, he, he picked up this newspaper and he just turned it to his songs. Here it is. Fred Jones was worn out from caring for his often screaming and crying wife during the day. <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't sleep at night for fear that she, in a stupor from the drugs that didn't ease the pain, would set the house ablaze with a cigarette. Wow. So that's wow. part one. You can enjoy that. <laughs> and local... then part two, he gets fired? 
Yeah, so sometime later, you learn more about Fred Jones. <laughs> yeah. He's been at the paper uh-huh. 25 years. Yeah. Gotta unceremoniously go. escorted out of the building. Yeah. And just the whole putting some slides onto a canvas and he's trying to draw and it doesn't look right. He's just frustrated and you're just left with nothing. <laughs> but frustration for this guy. It's awesome. Yeah. I found there to be shades of good riddance to this in terms of production structure and overall feel. But the story aspect of it was certainly darker and not saccharine like uh, good riddance. Um, I think the melody is like Billy Joel level. Like I think those shoulders he's standing on, like I think he's actually just as good as those guys. Yeah, I would agree with that. And this is an example for me of, of that. By this point on the record on first listen, I'm like, the name thing was really driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I was way too angry about it to be clear headed about it. But I, I, uh, originally, but I, I, again, the charm of this record is hard to ignore. And this is another one that is very charming. As we're recording this, I'm about to start a n- new job. Well, not a new job. It's an old job, but it's new. So Friday was my last day. And I've had in the past year, two of these moments. And so the line is, there was no party, there were no songs, because today's just a day like the day that he started. And it's so true. When you leave something like a job, nobody really cares, because it's just a job. Yeah. And so, I don't know, He Ben captures reality in such a beautiful way with his lyrics that I just don't think you can fault him all the time. I mean, as long as he's not singing a song about dumping someone and asking for his black t-shirt or whatever it is like he really knows how to be heartfelt when he wants to be you just saying that right now unlocked a lot about this song that i didn't really feel at the time i think i want to go back and listen to it again through those eyes because i know exactly what you're talking about it's a very relatable idea and yeah it's like i often think about that somebody dumps 20 30 years into a company sometimes and then that's it and the next day, everybody goes back to work, but you're not there. It's a little like dying, actually, because yeah. like you always think it's going to be this grand thing. But really, it's grand for you in that moment, I would imagine. And then people just kind of have to move on. Yeah. Yeah. There's something kind of dark <laughs> and, and and depressing about that idea. But... um. But yeah, I've certainly felt that way about companies too. When you put in your two weeks and you and they actually give you the two weeks, sometimes people are like, just get out of here. Right. Those two weeks, I can only describe them as, like you just said, being at your own funeral. Mm-hmm. People, they're not going to assign you more work. Yeah. You're going to close out your accounts and there's just going to be this strange lingering. Right. People come by. There's some people that come by. Maybe they, they're crying because they're going to miss you. Some people you see that you were just a pawn right. <laughs> in the working machine the whole time. Sure. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. I kind of like that, though. I like to know where I stand. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sobering for sure. It also it gives you some perspective. People pour their lives into their careers. and um, And then when it's over unceremoniously, you wonder, well, what the hell was that all about? What did I have at the end of the day? I don't know. It's um, it's a really depressing idea. <laughs> yeah, it's really depressing. Definitely is. Well, let's move on. Then. <laughs> let's talk about a textbook hippie man. The Ascent of Stan. So again, now this song is one of my favorites on the record, and I put it on a couple of mixes. I just, I really, I, I, I turned completely around on this song. The textbook hippie man. The harmony when he harmonizes with himself on this is amazing. His piano is fucking perfect. It's just the structure, every all the little bits. There's like a nice, all kinds of little things to keep you interested in the song. This is one of the ones where I couldn't stand when I was younger and now I get it. Okay. Pangs of silence from the room upstairs. How's the view there? It's so dry and cutting. It's <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> You've yeah. become all the things you've run from. Right. Shades of we won't get fooled again a little bit from the Yes. Who, you know, yes. That, that idea, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, or like you turning into the enemy you thought you despised. And whew, 
lot of good stuff happening in this one. Oh, the melody. There's a lot of like MacArthur Park in this melodically, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in a good way. You know, I like MacArthur Park. Okay, I I let I would let that cake out in the rain. <laughs> you ne- but the recipe is gone. It's gone. You'll never get it back. Right. If I had to point to one example of one that I was so resistant to and now love so much, like this is that song. Being poor was not such a drag in hindsight. And you wonder why your father was so resigned. Now you don't wonder anymore. Not that I have a problem with my father or anything like that in any way. But you see how people get a little more conservative. Not everybody. Some people do as they get older and then you're like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I totally understand it now. Right. This life thing, this is exhausting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that ze- you lose the zeal. You lose the the let's blow it up and do better. And you're just like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> what does cheer me up on this song is whatever effect they have on that bass guitar that gives it that whying tonal change. It almost sounds like a synthesizer. Yeah. It's pretty cool. You mentioned earlier that he maybe didn't think he was the best singer. This is an example of where I think his vocals are really affected when he does that. Right. Like he's he's like warping his voice around. I don't know if it's actually an effect. It may be an effect the producer's putting on it, but there's a the vocals mirror the music in a really cool way on this song. How do you feel about losing Lisa? Well, again, I was angry about the names thing on that first. It's a lot of names. Yeah, it's a good point. It's so many names. <laughs> um, but it's it's a swinging little number. You know, I think this song is also about a depressed person or a depressed ex-girlfriend. Interesting you mentioned he was divorced so many times. I assume this sounds like it's about one of those, perhaps. Yeah. I like this one. There's piano toward the end of the song that I love. He is, there's little funky kind of production effects and some sparse piano that just works really, really well. Maybe not my favorite on the record, but it's, it's yeah. a nice power pop tune, you know? Really, 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 really good little number. It's not one I go back to all the time. It's just very, yeah, like you said, it's a straightforward divorce song. Yeah. Or a breakup song, if you want to call it that. I do like the line... I am mesmerized by tiny lines. I'm watching as the shapes are drawing slowly from her eyes. Mm. Mysterious sort of imagery. Really good lyric writing. I pulled, she's she's sitting here beside me and she is gone. If you know somebody with depression or something like that, sometimes you could be sitting right next to the person and they're not even there. Or at least they're not where you are, if that makes any sense. Yeah. This one was written by, actually, you said the divorce thing. It's written by Ben and Fraley Hines. That's one of his ex-wives. Huh. So there you go. When they were married or after the fact? I believe they were married when he was making this. And then shortly thereafter, they were divorced. So I guess it worked its way through the the song. All art is autobiographical. It really yeah. is. Like Chaos and Creation is a divorce record before you realized it was a divorce record. You're right, kind of right. Riding to Vanity Fair and all yeah. that. Right, right, right. Well, I think I like this next one better. I agree, but yet it's a, it's another name. Sorry about that. Favorite, uh, Carrie and Kathy, uh, mo- the melody, the phrasing. I love the hook, uh, the chorus. There was always someone carrying. It's just it's a piano man quality. That could be interpreted as him ripping that sound off, but I think it's more just, I think that's just the perils of similarity in piano rock at a certain point. But we we talked about in the teaser last episode, we talked about Goodbye Yellow Brick Road once, and this is one that I think actually lifts a little, maybe, maybe unintentionally, probably unintentionally, from Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, just in the sound. But that one, yeah, the emotion just drips off it. There was a rumor, and again, this is 
unsubstantiated that this was meant to be on the Ben Folds 5 fourth album. Oh. And it does sound a bit like that to me. It has more of a Ben Folds 5 quality than a Ben Folds solo record. Huh. The, the only note I really wrote down for this one is the very last verse. And I just want to say, I woke up sad from this dream I've been having the last couple of nights or so, mm. where their fathers and brothers were all at the funeral carrying a box through the rain. Oof. And somebody says it's always been this way. <laughs> Meaning they've been... Wow. You know, this depressed girl, they've just been carrying her Jesus her whole Christ. life. Christ. Yeah. It, I can't believe how dark... The thing is, is like, it's I'm a really high school dark. kid singing these songs where you're like, yeah, music's great. And you're like, this is the darkest album yeah. I think I owned. Wow. I'm speechless. That is that is really dark. I didn't dig that deep into it, honestly. Let's move on to Not the Same. Because you are no longer the same after hearing that. I know. I was about to head into like a really like weird place. So let's not do that. Not the Same. My favorite track on the record. Very where, good. The only, the only thing I wrote on here is where the hell was this song? If this album started with Not the Same, I think I would have been way more hooked in uh, out the gate. The groove is just so tight. I love the way the bass kind of dances around but stays in the pocket. It's a harder rocker. I don't know. I wish the rest of the record was like this. I probably yeah. would have been a happier camper, but love this one. This one shot to the top of my playlist like very, very recently. Because once I opened my heart to this record and let it in, this one became like, oh, this is amazing, you know? Yeah, the whole story, the name check of Robert Sledge, who is the bass guitarist for Ben Folds 5. And actually, this is a real story. It was actually at Darren Jesse's party. He was the drummer for Ben Folds 5. Uh-huh. But, but Ben was like, well... It sounded better. Robert's name sounded better. <laughs> but yeah, this guy that climbs a tree has this eye-opening experience. Uh-huh. He becomes a born-again Christian, and then it, it becomes some kind of mover and shaker in Christianity in the town Yeah. until someone dies on the water slide in his mansion that he buys. It's just... It's crazy. <laughs> such a wild song. I love the line. You've got one good trick... And you're hanging on to it. <laughs> Love yeah, that line. Biting. <laughs> biting. I think I agree with you. This may be the best song on the record. Yeah. It's certainly the start of a string of songs I just love. nothing else to say about it i just love it i don't yeah me neither so rock in the suburbs then so this one we talk about like songs that kind of open your mind up to the record the one about the kid opened my mind up to like the tenderness of the record and this one opened me up to the humor of the record and when he says like shaman that first time i lost my shit like i was (laughs) i was laughing cackling uncontrollably (laughs) it's a hooky song that lures you into a false sense of security before you realize he's mocking the people who were making maybe this kind of music or not this kind of music, but like certainly at the end when they go into the like that's he's making fun of like new metal. Like that's exactly what he's doing. He's making fun of like Limp Biscuit. I think he actually says break stuff in here, which I'm not sure that timeline syncs up, but he might actually just be like openly mocking Limp Biscuit. Yeah. Well, there were, I forget which group it was. Somebody called, some, one of those bands called him Cheers Music, like the theme <laughs> oh, song to no. Cheers, which I, if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, thank you, so that's the nicest thing you've ever said to anybody. The lyrics are unbelievable. I mean, there is a whole second version, the William Shatner version. Yes, the cleaner version, yeah. Because that one takes out all the references to white guilt and some producer with computers fixing all your shitty tracks, which by the way is my favorite line on the record. Maybe of <laughs> it's, it's get, shooting up to the top 
of like most records for me. I, I love that line so much. Yeah. Uh, but it takes out all of that stuff. And the white guilt thing, because my granddaddy was somebody else's great granddaddy's slave. It wasn't my idea. <laughs> I just went to the store for some Preparation H. It's a mess. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, on the William Shatner version, there's also some interesting, funny lyrics. William Shatner, I think at one point says, I have digital evidence with red eye correction, which made me laugh just <laughs> way too loud when I was... <laughs> hearing that for the first time complete with red eye reduction which i will email you to prove <laughs> that is in fact your dog <laughs> well the i yeah. the two verses he added to that where he's talking about watching american idol in a house that was built on an indian burial ground or <laughs> driving to work in your car to make enough money just to pay for your car to drive to work to make enough money to pay, you know like that yeah. sort of thing it's funny. I, I do like the original version more, but... Yeah, I do Man, too. Ben Folds' music with Shatner is something everyone needs to check out. It's amazing. I think he might have participated in Shatner's record Has Been because his name came up in relation to that. Yeah, he produced the whole thing. I Okay, did not realize that. That record is actually... Whatever you think about William Shatner, because obviously he's like, you know, it's a joke that he's doing this. That record is legitimately, like, great. <laughs> That's like, Ben Folds' best album, that William Shatner album, as far really? as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's yeah. one for me that sticks through time. It just makes it, yeah. Common People? I think I like that Common People on that record way better than actually the original Common People. Me too. Uh, the only other note I had on Rock in the Suburbs was More, Please. More, yeah. Yeah. Then we get to, to track 11 here. The second song about firing on the record. Right. You know, I never really even realized that. Yeah. Huh. This one had some similarity to Randy Newman a little bit. I didn't really have much to say. It's not, I don't know if I, after the last track, I'm just ready to go wherever Ben wants to take me. And mm. so I thereby like this track. But I love the ending where he just screams. <laughs> In multi-part harmony. Yeah, I don't know. That's really all I have to say about this one. I love the line, everywhere I go, damn, there I am. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's good. Very funny. But yeah, it's a simple little tune. And then the album closes out with the luckiest that Ben Folds goes to great lengths in his interviews to explain. This is when he cracked the code of love songs, mm. where it's not, I love you, you love me, all of that, that whole verse what if i'd been born 50 years before you in a yeah. house on the street you know that whole thing right. would i know if when you pass on your bike that we were meant to be a little creepy but interesting yeah the sentimental streak in it instead of finding it annoying actually just kind of pierces my soul where i think he wants it to be pierced so even though there's that high schooliness to it a little bit i i really do like it and relate to it anyway yeah uh, I guess this one was meant for a movie called Loser. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When Ben has assignment songs, he does a good job, just a, a lot like McCartney, but that's a yeah. whole nother podcast. So you sent me this EP version uh, of the album last night with a lot of other tracks on it. And that is a lot different than the record. In fact, the EP is like more of what I wanted out of this record originally. Yes. A lot of great stuff on there. See, I mean, very briefly, you have Rock in the Suburbs is on there. One Down, which is just straight up Ben doing a country tune about he has a contractual obligation to write a few more songs. And here's another one, which is, you know, that is what that is. Well, that one was also that one was my favorite. I think there's a double meaning with the numbers. I think he's blowing a breathalyzer in this song. Oh, that's funny. I think he's blowing a breathalyzer and also finishing the lines to a song. And it's all about how he can't just phone it in or something like that. It's a little snobby, a little like, like what you're talking about, arrogant, but great. I actually really loved one down was a standout for me. And I loved make me mommy. Yes. Really good. Like a B 52 sort of send up yeah, a little pseudo punk ish. 
The Secret Life of Morgan Davis. Not to channel Chris Mercer with this, but delightfully weird. Yeah. It's got that deranged imagery and selling drugs keeps him up at night. Just a stockbroker that's up all night living some other life. I really wish that song made it on the record. And also that song, Hero Song, about the Japanese businessman that Mm -hmm. is dating the 20-year-old girl or whatever it is. It's like... Solid groove, yeah. Really good grooves. And you're talking about a funk slap bass solo and Hero Song. But yeah, those are all those extras along with a song called Girl, which is Ben Fold straight up just writing a fake 90s boy band song. Yeah, I just wrote Boys to Ben on this. So you're welcome, universe, for that. I think you could have taken Losing Lisa off the record or a couple other ones and put one or two of these on there, and it would have been a stronger album, but that seems to be a problem I have with a lot of people's albums. Yeah. I guess my closing thoughts on here, Ben gets to the point, and sometimes he gets to it too quickly and turns me off. But it's only because he's holding a mirror up to some uncomfortable places in my own and I think all of our pasts when he's doing it. So I'm really happy you gave me this record to listen to because I wound up really loving this. Well, I'm glad you listened to it. And what a wild ride. You know, it's, it was strange to be back here like he sings. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, thank you, everybody. And we will see you next time. Yeah. See you next episode. Bye. Bye. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at now here this podcast on Instagram, at now here this pod on Twitter, facebook.com slash now here this podcast, or email us at now here this official at gmail.com. See you next time. Paul, I'm adding something right at the front here just so you know where it is so it doesn't bother you when you edit it in. I also want to say this. I ran the Ben Folds Lyric Database in high school. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute Mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right, ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then.